My name is Bill Strickland. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, and uh, so they said, would I like to do this? And I said, yes. We're in Psalm 27, if you want to turn there. I have uh, a couple of things that I want to do to kind of set this up. Uh, it says, the, the Lord is my light. If you got there, I'm, I'm going to go ahead without you. Uh, the Lord is my light. Now, uh, we're all, if you walk out tonight, if it was the same as last night, and, and you look up, you're going to see a big, glowing, full moon. And you say, oh, how bright the moon is. Wrong. The moon is not bright. The moon has no light. The moon is just a reflection of the sun's bright light. So turn to your neighbor and say, I knew that. <laughs> See, I, I've, I've been watching some of those preachers on the TV, and, and they do that. They tell their audience what to tell one another. So, you know, if I'm ever, ever going to be, you know, famous, I'll, I'll probably have to do that. Um, so just keep that in mind as we go through tonight. The Lord is my light. Now, light... When you th think about it, uh, okay, uh, you know, you, you don't want to picture Jesus as a light bulb. But what does that mean? Well, it's enlightenment. It, it's about information. It's the Lord is my information source. That's what gives me light. So keep that in mind. That's important. Now, I want to, and the, the next thing is that the Lord is my salvation. Now, I want to encourage you. One of the things I'm going to do tonight is, is try to challenge you to a strong devotional life. And you'll probably, you know, not, not to in any sense diminish the power of the word itself, but there are a lot of authors out there who have put together some, some fantastic stuff that will aid in your thought process, or maybe I should personalize it and say that is aided in my thought process of just enjoying the scriptures. See, the scriptures, I think for our day and age and where we are, we need to get excited about this stuff. See, I have a phrase that I've used a lot. I borrowed from somebody called Jesus as my most satisfying reality or Jesus as the most exciting thing in my life. Now, the way the Lord worked that in me was I had a lot of things I got really excited about. Uh, I'd have to admit at that point in time, Jesus wasn't particularly one of them. I mean, yeah, I knew all the stuff that Christians are supposed to know and did it, what, uh, just kind of because you had to, supposed to, and, you know, every once in a while I get a little smile. But that was my problem. And so what I want to challenge you tonight to begin to do is put away some of those ideas and really get excited about Jesus. I mean, it's working. It's working already. Uh, because when you, when you look at what he's done and what we have because of what he's done and where we're going to end up one day, I don't see how you can not be pretty excited about that. So one of the authors, I'm, I'm getting back to my topic here, one of the authors, a couple of the authors I'm going to read tonight is uh, Oswald Chambers and Charles Spurgeon. Now, if you happen to be wandering around in my utmost for his highest on uh, the 25th of this month, it's called The Go of the Relationship. He uses Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. See, I've still got the old version. Go with him too. The summing up of our Lord's teaching is that the relationship which he demands is an impossible one. 
unless he has done a supernatural work in us. Jesus Christ demands that there be not the slightest trace of resentment, even suppressed in the heart of a disciple when he meets with tyranny and injustice. No enthusiasm will ever stand the strain that Jesus will put upon his worker. Only one thing will, and that is a personal relationship to himself, which has gone through the mill of his spring cleaning until there's only one purpose left. I am here for God to send me where he will. Every other thing for God to send me, uh, every other thing that may get fall, every uh, I can read better than this. <clears throat> Every other thing may get fogged, but this relationship to Jesus Christ must never be. Now, you, you got to get this next paragraph. The Sermon on the Mount is not an ideal. It is a statement of what will happen in me when Jesus Christ has altered my disposition and put in a disposition like his own. Jesus Christ is the only one who can fulfill the Sermon on the Mount. See, I think you've got to think about that. And I'm hoping that with Psalm 27, uh, I'm going to be able to give you some clue of how you draw on that resource, or you'll just applaud as we move through it because you already know it. If we are to be disciples of Jesus, we must be made disciples supernaturally. As long as we have the dead set purpose of being disciples, we may, not, we may be sure that we are not. I have chosen you. That is the way the grace of God begins. It's a constraint we cannot get away from. We can disobey it, but we cannot generate it. The drawing is done by the supernatural grace of God, and we never can trace where his work begins. Our Lord's making of a disciple is supernatural. He doesn't build on any natural capacity at all. That's kind of hard to swallow. You know, because what happens is, what you need to know is that sometimes you think it's you when it's really him. You think it's your gift and it's something that he's given you that you're particularly good at because it is a, a spiritual capacity. He does not build on any natural capacity at all. That's why it's a bit of a, bit of a flaw to look at someone and say, oh, they would make a great Christian. But they wouldn't because God would have to strip them of everything that would make them a great Christian and, and rebuild, because it's not about natural ability. God's, God does not ask us to do things that are easy to us naturally. He only asks us to do the things we are perfectly fitted to by His grace, and the cross will come along that line always. So as you begin to understand that the Lord is the light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? I don't know if you paid any attention to the events of the day or the events of what we might call our era of life, but there's lots of opportunities to be afraid. Anybody notice that? Uh, anybody notice? Are you out there? <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, if, have you, if you ever thought about it, the, uh, the, if, you know, if you happen to, uh, you know, succumb to watching television, which I do on occasion, uh, every commercial, look at every commercial this way. They're trying to establish enough fear in you to buy their product because obviously your life is going to be lacking if you don't have what they've got. So you should be afraid. And so that subconsciously, I think, 
begins to work in you so that you can't look at that and say, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Now, there's one more thing that, that Spurgeon makes a wonderful presentation about, and that is, that is our justification and the joy that we should have in it. Uh, so uh, the 25th morning out of Spurgeon's morning and evening says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Conscience accuses us no longer. Judgment now decides for the, for the sinner instead of against him. You get that? Judgment now decides for the sinner instead of against him. Memory looks back upon the past sins with deep sorrow for the sin, but yet with no dread. That's what, that's what triggered that, this whom shall I dread. But with no dread of penalty to come, for Christ has paid the debt of his people to the last jot and tittle, and receive the divine receipt. And unless God can be so unjust as to demand double payment for one debt, no soul for whom Jesus died as a substitute can ever be cast into hell. It seems to be one of the very principles of our enlightened nature to believe that God is just. We feel that it must be so, and this gives us our terror at first. But is it not marvelous? that this very same belief that God is just becomes afterwards the pillar of our confidence and peace. See, if God's going to be just and I've been saved, God hasn't got anything against me, no matter what. Huh, glory to that. Uh, yeah. If I be just, I, as a sinner, alone and without substitute, must be punished. But Jesus stands in my stead and is punished for me. And now, if God be just... I, a sinner, standing in Christ, can never be punished. God must, change. God must change his nature for one soul for whom Jesus was a substitute can ever by any possibility suffer the lash of the law. Therefore, Jesus, having taken the place of the believer, having rendered a full equivalent to divine wrath for all that his people ought to have suffered as the result of sin, the believer can shout with glorious triumph, who shall lay a charge of anything to those of God's elect? Not God, for he is justified. Not Christ, for he has died. Yea, rather has risen again. My hope lives not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but what in Christ is, and in what he has done, and in what he is now doing for me. Now, this next sentence is one of the reasons that I love Charles Spurgeon's writing. On the lion of justice, the fair maid of hope rides like a queen. What? Get, get the picture. See, this is a word picture. I went around the office today in the church trying to find somebody that had a definition for what kind of sentence this is. You know, we got things like metaphor and simile, and, but, it, but it didn't pan out. So it, it, it's a word picture, I guess, So whatever it is, because I, I wanted to appear intelligent like I knew what I was doing as far as English grammar is concerned. Uh, <clears throat> but if you listen long enough, you'll realize how flawed that is. <clears throat> so now, on the line of, get this picture. On the lion of justice, the fair maid of hope rides like a queen. Now, you've got to know Charles Spurgeon was English, so queen has a meaning to him. 
But when you, when you see that word picture of just a triumphant ride, hope. We, we got to have that. That's what makes it all work. That, that hope of heaven and that we got it, guaranteed, no way we can lose it. Wow. That's why that you can, you know, in a sense, mouth the back of a lion and ride like a queen. Okay, let's move on. So, so the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. How does that happen? 2 Timothy 1.7. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a discipline. I learned it as love, power, and a sound mind. And so that, that process or not hasn't given me a spirit of fear rather than timidity. So it depends on which version you look and which one you like. But I like fear to say that simply because of the amount of fear that we face. See, if, if you believe we've got a good God and you believe that he's sovereign and you believe that he knows what he's doing even with your life and the life of those for whom you pray, why would you be fearful? So where do you think the fear comes from? Well, obviously, the adversary wants to kill, steal, and destroy, according to John 10. 10. And, and yet, our own minds and what we put in them can oftentimes create our own imaginary fears. And we have to learn a process, and that's where the word comes in. We have to learn a process of, okay, if I have, it says my, my heart will not fear. See, that, I think that moves us back up to the salvation idea. See, the, the salvation is a complete new heart change. Uh, for that uh, verification, you know, you, know, you know the verse in Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel 36 is the place you find it. Which side of the Psalms is Ezekiel? Oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, Ezekiel 36, I think you'd probably be familiar with verse 26, which says, Moreover, God talking, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So that you're not trying to pull off some sort of reformation of your old heart. You believe by faith you've got a new, righteous, Christ-empowered heart. It's just the truth. And so you, I don't know how many times you have to make that repetition in your own mind before it kind of soaks in and, and gets a hold of, of your present reality. But whatever it takes is what you ought to do. Though war rise against me, we're at the last part of verse 3, though war against me, in spite of this, I will be confident. Where is the confidence? Can't be in myself. It's like the confidence of the moon saying, I'm going to shine bright tonight. Well, maybe you will, it won't. Depends on how cloudy it is and the position of the earth. But the capacity is there based on the sun, and our capacity there is based on the S-O-N, sun. So we continually challenge our mind 
and be confident about it. You know, I, I, God doesn't do shoddy work. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. When, when God does something, he does it really good. Yeah. I have a, a slight thing. I'm going to say this uh, because I want to. Uh, and uh, that, you know, we as Christians need to get a bit bolder than we are about our God and his work in our lives. Obviously, I mean, it would be like, you know, since we're on that moon thing, it would, it would be like the moon depreciating the sun for the brightness of its light, its reflect. I think the, I think the, the moon is real proud of the sun. And look at me, I am shining. Okay, now again, you got to be careful. You don't want to get arrogant in your Christian walk, but you do want to get bold because God does good work. You know, once God begins to overcome some of those flaws of your life, sins, well, I guess we could call them, then, then you need to brag on him. Thank you, Lord. Changing appetite. See, that, that's the way that I notice mine. You know, God gives me a different appetite, and I begin to think more lowly of those things that I used to think more highly of. And, and see, when you're not interested in something, it's not hard at all to say no to it. And see, in our new heart, and we're going to get to our new head, uh, which is fed from our new heart, uh, when you recognize the truth that God says about what happened in you in that sanctification package, you're, you're being bold and strong in what God has said he's done, even though it hasn't yet become your personal experience. God will get you there. That's what James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 is all about. You're going through this tribulation and stuff because God wants to equip you. Here's another little aside for you. Had this thought sometime this week. I think it was Tuesday. It was yesterday, as a matter of fact. I'd like to call it a revelation of the Holy Spirit. But I might not be quite that bold. But I begin to realize that, you know, we pray for people and then we discover that they're in a huge amount of trouble. And that's the way God wants to get them where he wants them to be. But our tendency is to back off on our prayer and start praying God be comfortable to them. It just, it was just very intriguing to me. I'm not, I haven't gone full circle in thinking about this, but just very intriguing because some of the people I'm praying for are going through just awful, seemingly, stuff. So that, that gives me a good comfort to intensify my prayer on their behalf and say, Lord, pour it on till you get out of them what we'd like to see. Now, I, I don't know that you want to tell them that. They might have a little trouble with that. But, but because I, I, I found myself backing off on some of my prayers sometimes. So, so confidence. So, so far, what do we got? We, we, we got light. We got salvation. We're free from fear. We've got a measure of, of boldness in confidence. So one thing I have asked from the Lord, that will I seek. We're on verse 4. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? Of, of just really getting excited about the beauty of the Lord? 
I'm not sure we've been done justice by you know some of the supposed uh, imaginary pictures that we've seen of our Lord. And you know, of course, he's in his glorified state at this point in time, I suppose. So, but you be, you begin to think about this. This is someone that's my friend. This is someone that's my brother. This is someone who I'm going to be a co-heir with. And that's got to send you off like a rocket, I would think. But I had to train myself to do that because I'd gotten kind of in the Bible reading, going to church, sort of get this done mode. Rather than saying, you know what? My devotions are going to be the greatest event of my day, every day. And I am not going to allow anything to steal that joy, to, to quell that enthusiasm. I'm going to work at being as excited about Jesus as I possibly can. So consider that, if you would. So, so, that, uh, to, so that I may meditate in his temple. That's kind of what I just said. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. Now, we all know that the uh, word says we have been made the temple of God. And he will, con what's, what's that tabernacle that he shields us in? What well, is the truth. The tabernacle of truth is what's going to be your protection. Because when I start believing lies and vain imaginations, of, Romans 121 is, is a verse that just uh, has been really meaningful in me. It says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. I'm just saying, before we get to the results of what that brought, stop and think about that. If I'm going to honor God, what should I be doing? Giving thanks. See, that's the way that I learned to measure how well I'm doing in my honoring the Lord is am I giving thanks? Hmm. And I discover that's, that's the quickest way back in order to gain the emotion that I would like to have. And sometimes I look at my circumstance, I don't, I don't find much thankful. So I thank him for the things I know. I give you thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for, thank you for the way you got the children of Israel through the Red Sea. Thank you, you know, and, and so there's plenty. If you have an awareness of Scripture, you can find stuff to thank him for until you get to your stuff. But when you realize, as James said, that he's going to be working this out for good so that you'll be wholly complete and lacking in nothing, then, oh, okay, so I, I, this, this is a good work you're doing. Thank you, because when we, when we cast some disparity on, on God's work, I think we stifle what God may be up to in our lives until we get back to this. Now, what's, what's the result of not being thankful? Well, it disappeared. There it is. Uh, they become futile in their speculations. The way I memorized it is they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts was darkened. And if you're interested, at a later time, you go through the rest of Romans 1 and, and all of chapter 2, I think, most of chapter 2, and it, it provides you the awful results that happens of dishonoring God and not being thankful. It's not pretty. We have to train ourselves to be thankful. We have to train those that we hang about with of being thankful. Because their unthankfulness can rub off to you. And any unthankfulness begins the measure of this route of moving off toward difficulties and uh, vain imaginations. So, 
Therefore, I will hide in the tabernacle of truth, and in this secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. I'm going to be hidden. I'm going to be stable. Here's our head. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Process that. Then it goes on to say, yes, I will sing. I will sing. Yes, I will sing the praises of the Lord. And I'm, you, you know this. This is not something new. Tell your friend, uh, this is not something new. We've got to sing praises. That, you know, it, we, I praise the Lord. When, when, uh, when I started out uh, in my journey, uh, you know, Christian music was like from 12 to 12.15. One, one little time a day. Because that was the good thing for a, a country station to do particularly. You know, it's like we knew he was a good man. He sung us a hymn. So, so it's, it's like that process of recognizing what the Lord has allowed and even inspired to the point that, at least in this country, uh, we now have Christian radio where we can tune into music and messages and, and really get blessed by, by some of the best guys that are uh, you know, stewards of the word on the planet. Wow. But we can so easily be deceived by our own emotions to move towards something and think, well, I'm not going to listen to my preacher today. I think I'll watch Oprah. She's still on? No. Just goes to show you how, how out of date I am. But anyway, so, so those are the things that maybe, hopefully, the Holy Spirit will begin to give you some conviction over because over what the Holy Spirit convicts, he corrects. I have tried correction without the Holy Spirit, and it just ends up in repetition of sin. But when the Holy Spirit convicts, that means he's ready to correct and, and begin to build Christ-likeness in you. And, and that's really what we're at. That, that's our place of reflection of light. That's our place of salvation. That's our tent of safety. That's the rock that we can stand firm on with our head up high, as it just said here, because, because we know this stuff. We, it's truth, and, and we believe it. So, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. I mean, that's what we want, Lord. And, you know, sometimes I have a little difficulty recognizing his answers because it doesn't quite fit the imagination that I had of how I would like this to be. So I wait and continue to seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me. O God of my salvation. Uh, now this, this is David. And it, it, the next verse says, For my father and mother have forsaken me. Here's a little question for you. How many of you know what David's mother's name was? Let's see those hands. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> So don't go scurrying through your pages. And, and this, you know, this may have a possibility of not being true, 
But as I was going about preparing for this lesson, mostly in the, with the guys that are around it and know about WikiUp and, and those sort of things. And, and so they went on the Internet and discovered that the Jewish folk believe that David's mother was Nitzavet, N-I-T-Z-E-V-E-T, Nitzavet. Nitzavet and Jesse were David's mother and father, but they forsook him. Now, this, I think it was a lady who, who wrote this article, and uh, she said that, you know, David was a come-along-too-late kind of kid. He wasn't real appreciated. He was the eighth of the sons, and he, you know, he was out watching the sheep. <laughs> this author made the speculation that the reason they put him out to watch the sheep was in the hope that one of the beasts would eat him. But, you know, word comes back to Jesse. He killed the bear. What? <laughs> yeah, he killed the bear. Oh, he killed the lion. Wait a minute. You know, so it becomes very apparent, even though we're not using a word, we're using uh, some uh, history uh, from the Jewish source there, that, that David wasn't exactly the apple of his father and mother's eye. And so they forsook him, it says here. But the Lord will take me up. And when we, when we understand that the stuff we're going through is a part of the Lord's process, you, know, you, you go to that devotional time and you begin to ask, Lord, I'm not liking this very much. Can you change my appetite, my attitude because I know that you're at work in my life. I know that you want to conform me to Christ. I don't want to get rid of this. I want this to work in my life to accomplish the attitude that you would like to see in me, that you would like to reflect through me. So you'll be amazed as you grow in your faith, it does not go unnoticed. Those folk with whom you hang about will begin to say, what's happening to you? What's going on? That's an immediate witnessing opportunity for boldness in the Lord, for the reality of the truth of the workings of the Word and the Holy Spirit in your life. That's more the way it works, I think, than a lot of times the initiative that you may be taking on your own in an attempt to be something that maybe God hasn't empowered you to be yet. Now, that's not to diminish any evangelistic gifting that you have. When you have a hunger to reach people for Christ, reach people for Christ. God builds those appetites and empowers those appetites and puts you in places where you didn't know you would be that bold or that powerful because it's really about that reflection of Jesus Christ through your life. It's just, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, you know, Jan and I have been, been doing this stuff for a goodly number of years. <laughs> if I told you how long, it would, you know, reveal some of our age. But it's getting close to 50. <clears throat> so, and, and we learned a lot of good things in the process. I know I knocked that down. Oh, there it is. Uh, and I want to say a word, as I nearly always do, uh, about the process of repetition. See, just because you've read something and it ministers to you 
Don't stop. Read it again and again and again. Honor the Lord with repetition because that's what he wants to use in your life. So that when you, when you get something glorious, get up the next day and go at it again. Say, I'm going to do that again. Because the, the, the principle of sports is where you learn that. You know, if you want to be an expert hitter or a quarterback, you don't just walk on the field with your pads on and say, okay, I'm ready. That's what practice is all about. That's what repetitious practice is all about. You will find professional athletes when they're in their training mode are doing exactly the same thing every day, every day, every day. Here's, here's the principle. Out of the practice of the basics come the extraordinary. See, the, the athlete that we watch cannot make that extraordinary play like he practiced it. But the reason he's able to make it is because he has so schooled himself in the priority of the importance of that, he can't really keep from making that play. Because everything in his head and mind and body says, this is the most important thing that I can do in this moment, and I'm going to give everything to it. And he does. And you get to see the replay 45 times. <laughs> and wonder how he did that. But see, they can do the same thing about us. See, as, as we move in with that reflection of the sun at full measure, then we will find ourselves saying things, doing things, reaching out to people that we didn't know we could do. Because we have so trained ourselves in the priority of righteousness that it becomes our natural or supernatural response wherever we find ourselves. Glory to God. We don't, we don't have to make it happen. We just have to reflect His glory. But there is a certain level of, you know, in a sense, keeping your reflective surface clean. And that's, that's where your devotional, your studies, all that stuff comes in. So the, uh, I wanted to make reference to John, uh, to Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 in this section of the psalm. Because uh, Paul's got a good word here for us in that uh, how, long, how long do we keep doing this? <laughs> and you, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the verses that I'm going to if you've hung around the letters of Paul very much. In uh, chapter, uh, what did I say, 1, 23, and 24. Oh, boy, look at there. Uh, I am, I am, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be be with Christ, for that is very much better. See, that's our hope. That, that's what puts us on that back of the lion of justice. We're, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to go to heaven. So that's better. I mean, it, the earth is not going to be comparable, but it's better. See, this is, this is your reflective part. It's better you remain on in the flesh. It's better that I remain on in the flesh, Paul said. More necessary for your sake. See, I'd already be dead if I didn't have the assignment to preach this message tonight. Probably not, but I thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> Say, he thought that was kind of clever to your neighbor. 
I got to stop doing that. <clears throat> okay, so uh, now if I can, there it is, I got Psalms again. So he, we're, we're lifted on the rock, our head is standing up, we're reflecting his glory. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Yes, I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. I kind of glossed over the voice part when I went right through this. See, you don't find someone up here who has not prepared in the use of his voice to say the things that God wants him to say. Uh, oftentimes, uh, particularly during our season with Campus Crusade for Christ, we run, oh, I just can't witness. And I say, because you never practiced. You haven't heard yourself say these four spiritual laws that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But man is sinful and cannot receive the plan of God. So, but Jesus Christ has provided a way to you to get that abundant, wonderful life. Wouldn't you like to receive him? You can say that. And if the Spirit's working on both sides, stuff's going to happen. But if you haven't practiced it, if you don't know it, if you've never thought about it, it ain't going to happen. And, and that's why that, that this, to me, was, was sort of a, a training sort of mode psalm. In other words, we got the good new heart. We're standing with a, with a reflective surface. We've got the salvation. We, we've got the head. See, that, that's, that's the problematic part, is the heart's not the trouble, it's the head. So that you have, to, you have to redo the thoughts of your head so that you can express the truth of the word as your natural expression because it is your personal reality. See, that's what makes the truth of what God has done so important because you may not feel like God has done what he said he's done. But as you probably well heard on many occasions, it's not about the feelings. Hmm. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not, but i got to quit doing it. <laughs> but it really is not about the feelings. So that, that you know, you move through and, you know, you, you know the measure. What's the, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody got that out there? Rip it off for me right quick. Well, it wasn't exactly in unison, but it was close. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the nine measures of the Christian life. I pretty much put this in every message because it's been so beneficial to me. See, if I'm outside of those boundaries, I'm in the flesh and God can't use me. Well, no, that's not true. He can use anything he wants to. But I can't get the joy and the blessing of that use, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I would encourage you to get that down to that degree because that, that's a part of what's going to help you stand in confidence before those who are in a struggle, particularly if they're a believer. See, every believer has that resource. It's in their backpack. And, and so you've got to learn to act like it and, and bring that out so that, that those things that come that are contrary to that don't come from your new heart and your renewed head. They come from the old memories, or the source of evil, or wherever it might be. And once you begin to recognize that and, and honor that boundary with the fruit of the Spirit, I, I'll guarantee you, 
you'll be tickled about how your life changes. So get those down. The other, the other thing is, is 1 Corinthians 13. We're having a lot of struggles in our home. What, 40 years ago? Yeah. Uh, it just wasn't, you know, we'd get up in the, in the breakfast battle, I guess you could call it. So I would say that the Holy Spirit gave me this clever idea about 1 Corinthians 13. That before we did anything else in the morning, we were going to read the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. I'll spare you the whole thing, but there in that, first, that little section between 4 and 8, it says love is patient, love is kind, isn't jealous, love doesn't brag, isn't arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, isn't provoked, doesn't take into account a wrong suffer, doesn't rejoice in the righteous, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Do you know that? No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I, I would appreciate it, but you know, God gave me the mind that can do some of those things. See, you got that's another that's another line of measure that the believer needs to have. And again, it, it's in your backpack. It's it's ready to pull out every time you need it. And and you're going to need that patient part probably more than in most. But see, you got it. I challenge people to never say, to never devalue the virtue of patience. You can't know if you're, if you're not. If you're not using patience properly, you'll never know the joy of being cut off and blessing the person that just cut you off. It's, it's available. It's available. You're just not using it. You know, you praise the Lord that you didn't have an accident. You ask the Lord to bless that brother or sister as she hurry on to, to whatever it is that is the emergency of her agenda and bless them all the way there, get them safe, and, and thank you, Jesus. I'm just happy as I can be. New line of thought. Say, you got to do it that way because you can. Say to your neighbor, because you can. <laughs> I like doing that, I think. Okay. Now then, where are we? Okay, we're, we're talking about, okay, we got the head, we got the heart, and we got the voice. Yeah, if I can find my place. All right, back up from 28 a little bit. Yeah, we were at, we were at that part where my father and my mother have forsaken me. That's, that's what David realized, I think. But the Lord will take me up. Now, we're, you know, the, these final verses from, from 11 to 14 are just delicious. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Well, lots of luck on that. <laughs> it's a good request, but I'm not sure it's going to turn into an experiential reality. But I need that level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and such as breathe out violence. We need to pack that verse up and send it to our current Supreme Court nominee. Don't deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out violence. Here we go. This is it. This is, this is your good solution. I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Are you believing that? Jan and I throw that verse at one another often. To see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. Now, as I probably already well illustrated, uh, what is good may not look that good because, you know, James and other places explains it, that you count it all joy when you fall into various tribulations. Uh, I have to do that by faith on occasion, but it helps to know that the reason this is coming to me is an equipping factor so that I can end up perfect, complete, lacking in nothing in God's economy. And, and you have to confront yourself with those voices, verses, and you have to say them with your voice. See, I've got this clever idea. I don't know if, I don't know if this is uh, able to be substantiated from a medical position. But I've, I've got this idea that whatever this mouth says, this mind hears. And if this mind hears it often enough, it begins to believe that the mouth may have some credibility. And so as I consistently say that, then the mind eventually says, body, hello down there. Uh, this guy thinks this is really important. Maybe, maybe we better appetite and act that way. See, that, that's why the verbalization is so important. You know, we will, we will keep our mouth shut when we want to keep secrets. And I notice that most of my secrets are not worthy of public expression. So, you know, wait, why would I, you know, do that? So those things that we say publicly, and this is where Proverbs 21, 18 comes in. Uh, I think it's that one. It's either 18, 21, or 21, 18. Sometimes, uh, and, and it's the other side of Proverbs, the other side of Psalms. All right, this one. Do, 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 do. I, I, I quote it. I can quote it, but I like to look at it and just make sure I'm in the right place. It's 18, 18, 21. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So you need to ask yourself, it would be a good measure to look at and see, am I speaking death words or am I speaking life words? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. And the confrontation comes is that we say what we love. And those who love it will eat its fruit. It, it would seem as though that you may be able to change your vernacular, to change your words to praises and more positive things and eat the fruit of that as opposed to speaking death words and suffering the experience of that. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat its fruit. So particularly as believers, we need to, we need to have you know, a conviction within ourselves to talk as cleanly, I guess would be one word, or as righteously or as holy as God has so designed us to do, because that's a reflection. See, we're back to the first part. The Lord is my light. So I am to reflect the words of the Lord. That's why you memorize stuff. It's so that, that you can automatically pop into your mouth and affirm in your heart and head and voice the truth of God's word. You know, don't, don't take an unnecessary guilt trip over that. It's just a training program. 
Now, unless you need to. Some of you may be guilty. <laughs> uh, but so that, say, some of us may be, no, don't do that. Uh, so as you do that, as you understand that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and that could it possibly be that some of the stuff that's coming your way is being put on your plate because of the death words you're speaking? Or it might be a delightful dessert that is brought about by your life words because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat its fruit. And, you know, it's not hard for me to say I really love to hear what I've got to say. Hopefully it's based somewhat in the Lord. So, uh, or totally in the Lord, really good. I would have despaired unless I would have believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. You know, uh, I guess probably we're all going through stuff. Jan and I, I've had, a, I've had an interesting year. This year has been different than any other year that I have had. Uh, and... I don't know how well I processed it, but uh, a lot of it's been just physical irritations within my growing old body. Uh, maybe the normal course of growing old, I'm not sure. But uh, it's just, it's been hard because the abilities to do what I like to do are diminishing. You know, I'm doing pretty good for my age, really. But uh, it's, uh, no, I'm not going to tell you yet. Born in 1941, you figured it out. Okay, uh, so we, we have to wait for the Lord. And the reason we wait for the Lord is, is when we have that initial response that the little ding goes off. Have you noticed if you have a cell phone that you can hear that message ding all over your house? Ding! I've got a message. Well, let's do that with the Lord. You know, he's got, he's got, a, he's got a dinger that he uses. You know, when, 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 you, when, you, uh, when, when you step outside the boundaries of the fruit of the Spirit and the characteristics of, ding, we got to look at that message, don't do that. Or when you get, ding, do that, that was good, that reflected my glory, ding. So you, you got to use those things that the Lord has given us for illustration. That, the, the Spirit just gave me that one just then, I, that's not in my notes. <clears throat> But it's pretty good. We can applaud on that one. No, don't do that. Uh, so, be strong and let your heart take courage. See this one? Now we're going back, right, right back over to that part about the heart. My heart will not fear. Back in verse 3, that's what we started with. So, that be strong and let your heart take courage. I guess, you know, you have to read it like it says. That's something that you have to act on. You have to take courage. Where do we find our courage? Well, it's that, it's that salvation factor. It's the reality of what God has done and what God has provided that he's personally done for you. And the reason that it scares you is because you don't believe it. See? I, I picked up a phrase that, that, that's really good, but it hurts. From, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was a gentleman named Gruden. Said, when you're disappointed in yourself, it's because you've been believing in yourself. Mm. But it's true. So that we move back, ding, and you take courage. See, when you find that, that Timothy verse 
you know, that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. God doesn't renege on that. So you can take courage. That's why you wait on the Lord. It, it, you know, when you stop to think about these things, they're not hard, but they are a bit time-consuming. And in our society, sometimes we don't want to give the Lord that time. Or we get tricked into using it somewhere else. You just got to deal with that. I don't mean to be mean. But you know, if, you're, if you know you're not living your Christian life the way you ought to, stop it. And get on with the program of being filled with the Spirit and walking the Lord, taking the courage, understanding all the gifts that He's given you, and just loving everybody that comes across your vision. And tell them that with your voice, out of your heart, through your head. Heart, head, voice. That's what it talks about in here. So you use those so that, yes, I will wait for the Lord. He's got all this good stuff to overflow out of every one of us. But we need to wait on him to give us that plan of practice that comes into our experiential reality so the most exciting part can't wait to get to of my day is my time with Jesus because he's equipping me to move out into my society, into my culture, into whatever I'm going to face today and express Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our equipping. Thank you that you never fail. You don't renege. Our backpack's full, and we can use it. But our practice may be a little suspect. So I pray that you would help us know how to practice that righteousness that will reveal your glory, that will reflect the magnificence of the light of the Son of God, not only to your glory, but for our benefit and for the benefit of those that we love and approach as we have opportunity. Strengthen us, Lord, with your truth and spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.